as my cousin Jared would say, life is not a dress rehearsal. Yeah. And it's so easy to get trapped in the loops of one's own mind. Pause. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. I'm David Ross. I'm Daniel Bloom. Yes, yes. And yes, David, where are we? We are on a beach somewhere. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. We're actually in my living room <laughs> in Northwest Washington, D.C. Sand everywhere. But I have to tell you that today I legitimately thought to myself, what would happen if I just got in my car and drove to the beach instead? Don't you? You you you, you get one of these people that I does that. I love to though. do that. I like to, I like to pull off a day trip if I possibly can. And then I thought to myself, okay, well that's going to be a problem. One because I knew we were taping this episode, and two because I had a lot of work to do today. So I thought I can't drive to the beach, but I could Uber to the beach. How much would it cost me? How much? So I looked it up. Yeah. Take a guess. How much do you think it would cost to Uber to the beach from Northwest Washington D.C.? One twenty. One sixty-seven. 167 that's actually not bad to me especially if you got a couple of people three people i can't do math four people divided by one that's 40 dollars. yeah to drive to the beach yeah now your uber driver i don't know how they take that because that actually doesn't seem like all that much money and they don't get to keep all of it no and they're not getting a ride back exactly because i tried getting an uber to uh for your bachelor party did y'all call an Uber to go? There I, are no Ubers in Rehoboth Beach. Yeah, I tried getting sadly. one to come to the to come to the restaurant. Yeah, it didn't, not didn't pop off. No. Yeah, or Uber Eats didn't pop off either. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It hasn't happened yet. Once yeah. it, once the drones come in, then it'll happen. I feel like during the summertime, it's like it might be summertime. Seasonal. It would pop for sure. Might be seasonal. Yeah, I've watched people flip out because there are no Ubers late night to get them home, and they're waiting for the last bus in Rehoboth Beach. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that's but but that's that, that unique narrative. <laughs> the the escapism necessary sometimes, even just mentally from the modern world, is intense. I feel it all the time. Not just I can get in my car and go to the beach right now, or and can I possibly pull that off? But like I find myself having to take walks around the block. Oh yeah. And most recently, I've been stress eating. Stress this, eating. This is becoming a problem. Really? Yeah. Like. You know, last night, coconut custard pie. Uh, <laughs> yesterday. Yesterday, I knew I was going to have so much work to do at my place of work that will remain nameless. I had so much work to do that I knew I had relegated my entire night to working. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave the office at noon or m- midday. I'm going to go get this delicious Hawaiian food truck called Abu Nai, which mm-hmm. I love and highly recommend. I always chase these guys around the city. Like, I'm looking for where they are. Are they close? Are they close? I used to have the big cheese. Oh, that's the, the grilled cheese place. Yeah, You yeah. love grilled cheese. I do. <laughs> it's a do. good theme of Madcap. <laughs> I do. A, a sub-narrative. Yeah. So I, I, I saw they're over in Chinatown, and I'm like, I'm leaving work. I'm going to get my Abu Nai chicken. And once I go over to 7th Street, that's far enough east that I'm going to end up just going home after that. Because <laughs> I knew I'm going to work the rest of the night anyway. So I'm like, screw it. I, I need to indulge in this like escape because I know I can't escape ultimately. It's like try to keep enough self-care going that you can like still suffer the slings and arrows of, of your everyday life. <laughs> you know what's so interesting about that uh, uh-huh. is like anytime, especially there's a lot of times when, when people try to escape and they duck out and they're trying and they're worried about like around being about being caught escaping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you come to find out 
everybody else was just trying to escape. <laughs> well, and it's just like it's like they're like they're like, bro, nobody's paying attention to you. I was going through my own shit. Yeah, everyone else is just like got their head in their hands, thinking about how the hell they're gonna get out of their own problem. Exactly. That's what's kind of funny. Hold on, before pivot, must acknowledge the microphone situations. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, the microphones that we're speaking on are from Blue Microphones. Yes, Big yes. Up to at Blue. <laughs> Big up to Blue. They, they may not want their names thrown out because I don't think they want, they may not want people to reach out to them. We'll you know figure what? that I'll out. I'll just bleep them. We'll, we'll figure it out in post. I'll, I'll bleep. They're already bleeped. We'll figure it out in post. Them bleeped. But they're empowering gentlemen like us. They are. You know, to tell to tell our unique stories. <laughs> and speaking of which, oh, unique buddy. stories, look, at, like, I've become I've become better. I've learned from you, damn Bloom, in the tie-in game. He's you know? segueing. He's segueing. Watch him go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so you segue into the telling of stories. Yes. And this is what we wanted to talk about today. The power of basically anybody, the ability that they have to shape and tell their own story and the power that that has. Last week, we spoke about the difference between the image that one portrays, specifically on social media, as it's commonly uh, become talked about a lot in society, and then the reality of your situation and how... We've also talked a lot about an integrated life on this show, like what your thoughts are ought to dictate what your words are and ought to dictate what your actions are. And that's how you live an integrated life. So all that portends to like, listen to your conscience, live in the real world and respond to what is out there that is real and true. That, that's like a good thesis, I think, to these recent conversations. But the new wrinkle here is that I was at a wedding just recently in Vermont, of Gabriel Silverman, who we've had on this show, episode 10, that was one of my favorite episodes, <laughs> and his now wife, Jamie Coughlin. Um, they're both great storytellers. They met at that. Medill Graduate School, which is Northwestern Graduate School, the best um, for journalism. Post secondary school for uh, journalism, exactly, yeah. uh, in the country, basically. It's them, Syracuse, uh, Columbia, journalism, Missouri. There's like some of the best ones, but that's like arguably the best. So, the two of them got married, and their whole relationship is predicated on kind of their energy and strength to travel and tell stories about other people, about the world, and in doing so, try to explain and understand their reality. Mm-hmm. And I was really struck by their ability, not just in telling other people's stories, but in kind of doing so and starting their own business called Side by Side Studios. They are actively engaged in forming, shaping, and then telling the world their own story. And it struck me thinking about them in relation to the rest of the world. It's like people have the opportunity to tell their own story, whether or not they understand it and whether or not they actually do it. And those who can step out on the front foot and do that can do more and can help shape not just their own life, life, but other people's lives. So it's like, get out there and tell your own story because if you don't, somebody else will tell it for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and we don't know what the consequences of that are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like as I, as I, as I hear you talk about this, I'm almost like, yeah. Gabe has always been telling stories. Yeah. Always been telling stories. Yeah. I worked with him in the newspaper. Uh huh. He remember he did Which that newspaper, Springbrook. Yeah, the blueprint. That's so funny. Yeah, I did I'm not sure know Gabe, that. Pretty sure Gabe was working there. Um, <laughs> I me- I remember I, I remember when he had the had the stint at uh, when he had the stint for the uh, very prolific and um, how do I say very prolific and progressive Russia Today. You know, whoa. Uh, the very, okay. <laughs> uh, but like, oh, bring him out, bring him out. <laughs> or yeah. when he was doing, pro- or when he did that that nice piece on um. 
on Ryan Martinez. I thought that piece was amazing. Yes, when he was doing those video pieces for the Washington Post, I thought he did, he always had a unique style of like mm-hmm. like like a uh, who's the woman from the New Yorker that I'm obsessed with. I'm not sure if she's still there. Scott Sky Dylan Robbins or something. I think her name was. You got me. She used to, she used to do like these amazing. That's when she video journalism to me mm-hmm. was like oh this is like this is like real. Mm-hmm. That's why I used to try to sell. That's why I used to tell Drew Snaddick he'd be like this is what you need to be right right, right there. Yeah, he's developed into an interesting storyteller. And and the combination of he and Jamie, they make each other more powerful, mm-hmm. and they cannot achieve what they're currently achieving without each other. So it's really a beautiful love story, but the you know and it's inspiring for a lot of reasons. But it also reminds me that the particular strength of that lesson about the power of story and how that is such a human thing. It's a, such a human way for us to understand and interpret our world. And it also happens to be something that you and I have been doing for a long time, but in our own medium. Yeah. And I think now, you know, we're getting closer to the interpretation of reality than we are about kind of spinning these wild yarns <laughs> that we used to hear from people like the Zed's Deads and uh, the... Um, Oliver Jones's. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, dreams. a lot and, of. Know, yeah. we, we've heard some great tales, and we've illustrated and animated those tales. Um, and we may have to get back to that at some point because it's powerful. Yeah, shout out, shout, shout out the electronic musicians who 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 gave us a footing in, in, the, in the music industry. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, but I know I agree. I agree. I mean, with the yarn, are you saying that we've just been we've been fascinated by? by the narratives of others as opposed to focusing on the narratives of ourselves. Well, that's the progression is that we yeah. used to be very interested. Well, we started off, this show started off with you musing about culture and society through writings. Oh yeah. That were then read out loud. So it started yeah. off as introspection and then you started booking guests, which was really interesting. And then it became about let's explore the world through the experiences of these people that we find interesting. And we'll also jazz up the production with all kinds of fun stuff. And that became to me, a really fun thing to do. Now, the purpose of this show seems to be a lot more exploratory and it's inward because the world has gotten so confusing and chaotic <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I've always found that there's a lot, and this this is why we keep doing it, right? Because I've always found that there is power in just setting up the microphones, blue microphones in this case, thank <laughs> yeah. you, blue, and just pressing record. <laughs> exactly. Like, Suddenly you understand as these numbers go up and up and up that life is indeed finite. As my cousin Jared would say, life is not a dress rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. And it's so easy to get trapped in the loops of one's own mind. Pause. Pause. (laughs) Tell more about the man you just quoted. My cousin Jared? (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Uh, Okay, Jared Paul used to book all the entertainment. Well, he started off booking entertainment at C Productions, which is um, Campus Entertainment or whatever at Maryland. What? <laughs> he, booked, he booked crazy shows at Maryland. <laughs> Tribe Called Quest, uh, who was it? Uh, Bob Dylan, all these like incredible acts. And he was an intern for Cellar Door Productions. Okay. Who owned the Bayou and all these like classic DC venues. Uh, then he gets installed as the head of booking for entertainment at the then MCI Center, uh-huh. and he got headhunted basically by Irving Azoff, uh, or Irving Azoff, I can never get the name right, who was like this legendary agent out in LA, he's like the Eagles and Steely, D- I don't even know, like all these legendary groups. Yeah. Uh, so Irving brings Jared out to LA, and now he has this like production company that's co-owned by a couple of big players, and it's called Faculty. 
his big claim to fame is that he brought the new kids on the block back. <laughs> Which is amazing. Is it, is, it is amazing. <laughs> Not only do they go on world tours that sell out, but they get people to open up for them like boys to men. Which is... <laughs> Which you would do. A little unfair, though, because to boys to men. Because they're like the most legendary boy band of the 90s, like classic, material-wise. And yet they have to play second fiddle to the, to the, uh, to the new kids. But... You learn a lot living in black skin. You, know? <laughs> you learn to just just roll with just it. Just roll. Because <laughs> what the, and it's funny because what and he's always at like the conferences in Las Vegas picking up the newest, best stuff for tours like pyrotechnics and really cool light setups and he's always kind of studying what's cool with the touring and concert industry, and they do cruises that sell out. It's like hundreds of people go on a cruise and the new kids do like parties every night and he DJs and that's he, his business is basically nostalgia. It's like he is selling people the opportunity to go and relive their youth and they do it with their families, their kids. It's I've been to these concerts. It's like a, mainly women in their thirties to fifties and oftentimes with their kids, sons, daughters, or families, husbands. It's just like an awesome night of family entertainment and nostalgia. That's pretty cool. It is really cool. And it's they got it down to a science in a way. So I, far from hating on it, I just stand back. and No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't hating. I was just like, I was no, like. No, you don't need to hate on it. I mean, you don't need to explain yourself. I yeah. know it's remarkable. It really is. It, it really it, is. It's a little cheesy. I think everybody involved would kind of acknowledge that. But yeah, like, but those checks ain't cheesy. Everyone's happy to have the work. I think everyone. <laughs> everybody likes the 20-year reunion. So like, it, it, it's, it's interesting that, you, that you've made that connection. I've never actually thought about this before, that like. Somehow, Jared was able to convince the world that the new kids were cool again. That, like, yeah, you can go. And part of the reason they, they rolled them out in such a professional way that, like, it seemed cool again because of the way that they were handled. Like, their new singles get released on the Today Show and stuff. Like, oh my god, they just work. They work the marketing angle. <laughs> of so course, they can. He definitely knows how to tell a good story. And he's got this new thing called Happy Place. Where it's like kind of for for your Instagram, but it's also like you walk through a variety of little uh, kind of set up rooms, the smiley face room or the kiss love room yeah. and all these different rooms. You take your picture. It's so funny. Like he is very much involved in the the entertainment business and all these different facets. And it's all, also about how it makes you feel. That's it's not just about the content of what you're seeing. It's about how it makes you feel. Exactly. I mean, like, uh, well, part of, I think part of the people who do the entertainment business really well, like, they're, they're, like, you'll go to a, you'll say you go to a festival, like, certain, like, music festivals and stuff like that, you'll notice the ones that have this, like, element of, like, just things you couldn't even imagine, which are just, like, about making you feel, like, making you feel like this is the best experience ever. Mm -hmm. Just, like, whether, just, like, little, little elements that most people wouldn't think of, just as, as opposed to just, like, field music. That's it, you know. Right. So like this, it's, so, it's like the difference between uh, the Beyonce performance at Coachella. Did you watch that? No. Oh my God! I'm sorry to call you out on international radio uh, podcasting right now, <laughs> but you absolutely go run home after this is over. Just watch that. And the I'm bringing it up because it was like the most virtuoso festival. It, it redefined what was possible for a festival performance, and the time slot right before her was filled by post fucking Malone. 
Oh, man. Now, oh, man. I, I'm not here to, like, trash Post Malone. That's done by a lot of other people every day. Uh, I can't. I think it was Mero from Jesus and Mero said the funniest thing about Post Malone. It said, he reminds me of San Francisco because he's real raggedy, but he's rich as fuck. I mean, <laughs> but as you said, looping us back, life is not a dress rehearsal. Whoa, so, buddy. So for Post Malone, what is he supposed to do? Somebody yeah. gives you that slot? You're know saying like... Well, yeah, that's, but it, it's... He's doing everything he can do, but it reveals the difference between somebody who's like, oh, I'm about to raise this to a completely new level versus somebody who's just out there kind of lucky to have the opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. I can't hate on either one. Um, <laughs> you know, every, everybody has their lane, I suppose. Oh, man. Did I, did I tell you about seeing Post Malone in Vegas? No. <laughs> I didn't see him perform. I didn't see him perform. You just saw him in person? So, so, so and also, we got to get, we got to dress rehearsal, we got to get back. So we don't, so we don't, the sure. audience, we don't get lost in our, in, yeah. <laughs> but, what, so, what were you doing in Vegas when I was you in saw there, Post I was Malone? in there for, I was there, in there for, for a convention when this I was still is, at This DU. is what gets the clicks. David yeah. meets Post Malone in Las Vegas. No, didn't meet him. So I was there, I was staying at the MGM and I went down the, I really went down the, um, I went down to maybe get like, a smoothie for the special lady friend or coffee or something like that. And I guess she's going to hear this. She's like, I don't remember sending you for any coffee. You know, but like, what were you guys doing in Vegas? I went out for, this is during the, during the DuPont Underground days, I went out for, for a convention of, of real estate stuff. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, this is, there's a convention where, where, where a lot of dirty business takes place. That's, yeah. that's, that's the best, the best way I'll put it. But, uh, uh, and her brother, it was the first time I met her brother. He flew out too. And we cool. all, and so, I go. I'm. I go down, and the Billboard Music Awards was was taking place. Oh there. wow! I go down. I go down to the to to the first floor where there's a casino all this stuff, and I see, and I'm just walking around. I see Post Malone and a few other people just walking to a table. In my head, I'm just like, I'm like, oh my god, it's Post Malone. Post Malone. Oh, you know what I'm saying the only reason I was like this is because I had been jogging to this man <laughs> for like weeks, and yeah. then I'm like, then I'm like, David, you are 32. You know, out here for something like you need to just walk past this fool, and he and it was interesting. He looked so young. Yeah, he looked like he because he had his hair, his hair was in braids and stuff like that. Uh-huh. He looked like a twenty year old. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I, and that's when I was just like, uh, and he was smoking cigarettes. That's so I was just like, all right, I gotta go. I'm moving. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna talk to him. I'm not this type of person. But for a second in my head, I was just like, oh, that's a dude who does. You've been you've been running to congratulations religiously. That song is awesome. Religiously, religiously, I was running to it. I mean, I don't run to it anymore. You know, I ain't got that much beef with him. Yeah, yeah, he, I, yeah, he's got some catchy tunes, but I'm not here to line up behind Captain Post Malone. Yeah, no, that's not what this podcast is about. I don't think so. So, <laughs> so what? What intrigues you about life is not a dress rehearsal. The older you get, or maybe sometimes people never land on it, you realize that unless you have some other belief, there is no. I got to define my situation now because there is no other opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there really is none. I mm-hmm. mean, like, like unless you really going to bank on reincarnation, you know, I mean, like, that's a tough bet. <laughs> exactly, the toughest bet. And I also believe bad people are reincarnated as raccoons. I've had this. I've had this. I've had. Because if you ever watch a raccoon, there's an element of. I've been here, you know. <laughs> Na- there's an element of naughtiness. <laughs> exactly. I just exactly. heard this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. But no, like I think life is not a dress. Life is not a dress rehearsal. Rehearsal is a perfect way way to say it. Because like I I follow that like um, I follow that quote by I used to this Mark Twain quote. Endeavor so to live that when you come to die, even the Undertaker will be sorry. And and <laughs> so like good. yeah. So I'm just like you know what. I, I, I'm like when I show up, I want to be. I want to be. I want somebody to be like, you know what, D. Ross, 
we're sad to see this ended, but it's your time. Yeah. <laughs> just, but and yeah. and so I mean, of course, we're never we're not everybody's gonna uh, you you meet these people who are like I did everything I wanted to do. Like at the end of the day, that's not. I mean, I I, I don't agree with them. There's always something that you, you you may not have done. But I think I think what is for for the purpose of 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 these conversations and stuff like that, we've we've never really had the chance to sort out our dramas, our life, our life obstacles, our just like where where we are in the day to day, and like as we as as we get older, it's like we just it's like. You just ain't got time to like. I ain't got time to be listening to somebody else tell me about like. Yeah, man, I really want to play this. I really want to play this beat at this at this. You know, what I'm saying with the crowd got hype. Like, I don't care right now, bro. You know, what I'm saying I'm like I'm <laughs> like I don't care about that. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about like children. I'm thinking about all sorts of stuff. Like, I'm not thinking about this. So yeah. we have like just like other life stuff, which is which is what the rest which is what the rest of our friends are going through. You know, yeah. I mean, like, which is what these are the conversations. Like when we close, when we turn the mic off, these are conversations that we have to deal with. That's why the one place that I will refuse to let this conversation and our this go is real estate. That's when you know you're truly like over the hill. Sure. And I hate to say it, but every conversation, once you start getting, it's like, oh, square footage, and oh, what neighborhood are you look? Oh, wow, like. Get a down payment, get an interest rate, get a lock that in. <laughs> exactly. It's like, exactly. you motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> you don't have one foot in the grave yet. I mean, it's important. It's like, you know, because no other asset is really worth a damn, basically. It's like money is so cheap to get in society right now as a loan, um, supposedly. But what else do you do? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Uh, but back to life is not a dress rehearsal for just a second. It's like, um, unless you are currently in a dress rehearsal for a play at which point life at this moment is technically a dress rehearsal <laughs> and those can be important because if you're going to put on a show you got to get this shit right yeah so I, it's funny because back to the theme of telling your own story there's another wrinkle here in which this is not just like a pie in the sky idea but i've had a couple situations recently where i want to be able to do the work and instead of just doing the work, whatever that work happens to be, I have to also perform my doing of the work to make people feel less nervous and to prove in a kind of mathematical show your work way that the things that need to get done are getting done. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a whole nother production. So I'm not real thrilled about this, but it's a realization that I've come to too late and I'm now going to start understanding in a better way so what so if i all right if i'm if i'm understanding you clearly yeah you you've always just wanted to be and there's a lot of people like this you always want to be, be the person who just like puts his head down does the work and doesn't have to worry about the rest well this is the the next phase of my growth is trying to figure out how i go from being like a producer yeah to being like a director of okay. people who are producing things yeah. that i'm also on the line for yeah but part of that means not just producing the thing that we're making, but yeah. producing the play entitled How We Made the Thing That yeah. You Paid Us to Make. Yeah. And that gets so exhausting because you have to check in with your own team constantly. Get on the same page. The three or four, however many of us, not only are we making the thing that we're making, but we're also a team of actors. We're a, yeah. com we're a company and we're putting on a play. So like you have, it's, it's a double game that you, that you start having to play and it's exhausting. <laughs> It is, it is, you know, it's, it's funny you say it. So, like, I was never, like, details have always been, like, a weakness, you know? I've always been, like, a, uh, you know, we when we, had the, when we had the interns back in the day, intern we had for the podcast, Drew Snadeke, he was, like, he was, like, your role 
is creative direction. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I hate, and I used to hate it. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, nah, nah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like the artist, crea- you know what I'm saying, stuff like that. But like, I'm not, there's a lot of things I miss. I'm I'm okay at it, it, it. I feel like I'm okay at motivating people, mm-hmm. but I'm but like the others like I'm missing the other part. <laughs> you know what I'm saying I'm missing the stuff that they're like I'm, I'm missing that earlier stuff, you know. And so which which makes like once I uh, once I have that, I, I feel like I, I'd be more effective, you know, because I, I definitely because I, I definitely I feel like I do decently with just like especially especially dealing with dealing with people who because um, you know we deal we deal in a space where. Where people have unique personalities and uh, unique uh, unique neuroses and things like that, and and, and I mean like I guess like no different, but but like to get them to get stuff out of them, you mm-hmm. know, uh, mm-hmm. can it can be difficult. And after a while, I've gotten better in dealing in dealing with those personalities. But what those people what those people have is just like a skill and a, and, a le- and an attention to detail mm-hmm. that I just don't have you know and and maybe even organization is everybody's always told me like man if you're just a little bit more organized hmm. they're like you could really you could see really- and now let's get to the brass tacks because i'm right there with you <laughs> yeah right it's why every podcast we talk about what are you doing as soon as you wake up how do you stay disciplined yeah because we are running out of time yeah right like yeah. <laughs> this is it like the we are the change we've been waiting for. Like the, there is no more. Like I have, I'm facing this thing, and often it's again in the morning. It's like, how much do you want to be great? How much do you want to succeed? These things are not granted to anybody. Like people throughout my life would be like, oh yeah, you have what it takes to succeed. Like you're gonna be fine. Like don't worry about it. I never believed them. <laughs> never believe them, guys. Like. And girls, if people tell you like, oh, you don't have, you know, oh, you got the right stuff. You're going to be fine. Like, yeah, maybe. But you know how easy it is to fall off that track? Like everything has to go right for you at every single turn. And it, you know, and that doesn't work. So people have to just invent themselves and reinvent and reinvent and keep getting better and keep looking at their own mortality because, we are all running out of time to yeah. do what it is we want to do. Yeah. I and mean, sometimes doing what you want to do involves convincing other people, i.e. telling the story that you want to be understood. And telling it honestly. Well, that's a big part of it. That's how you get it done because if you tell stories dishonestly, people can often tell. With dishonesty, some, I mean, some people are just, some people are just psychotic. You know, but there's, <laughs> but there's also those who are, the dishonesty comes from a place of insecurity. Mm-hmm. And then... And then and so like and so like they they they, they kind of stay hidden, you know. Yeah. Um. But it's not overall. It's not to your benefit because 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 you talk about running out of time. That you can't you can't you can't live a life of dishonesty. Mm-hmm. You have to, like like it was just like you would never you would never really hear you know. But I do I do understand you know what I'm saying I do I I do understand folks that just kind of like that that have like altered that truth, you know. Well, this has to do with imposter syndrome too. Yeah. Which we all go through and I think is actually a natural part of progression. Like I think there is not a person listening to this and neither one of us could say that like I've never accepted or gone for a position that I wasn't really qualified for. Yeah. You go for the stuff that you want and you tell the story that explains why you're qualified. Sometimes you get those opportunities and you're like, now what do I do? Yeah. So I, I've never really liked the phrase fake it till you make it partially because I had a typing teacher in high school who was so funny. 
I don't know what her story was, but her name was Miss Shropshire, and she had this assistant named Mr. B. They were bizarre, and just in so many ways. And she used to say, I, I was like, oh, I can't keep up with this. Like, I can't do it yet. And she was like, well, you've got to fake it. You've got to fake it, fake it, fake it till you make it, make it, make it. <laughs> was this a black woman? Yes. <laughs> I wish I could remember the sorority that she was in because she was really proud of it. AKA Delta. What was that? What's that noise? There's like a noise. Okay, I think we that's... are the. I can't remember. She also taught me about the acronym Sugar Honey Iced Tea, which I had never heard before, which is a school waste, school safe way to say shit. I'm more, as you said that, I'm more like panicking about like, man, if this, if we have a black listenership, they're like, yeah. damn, David, you don't know that sound. You yeah, know what I'm right. saying? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I know the side, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm AK, but I'm just like, damn. I'm yeah. like, I gotta go. I don't, I'm not gonna I'm, be able to say that. I'm just guessing one. Delta. It could be. It could were they wearing red? I, probably. Red and white? Yeah, that's Delta. I think so. I don't know. Okay, okay. I, at least I learned a lot in that class. Typing ended up being an incredibly important skill. Yeah. Carla Perla was like, guess what? You can take anything you want in high school, but you must take a full year of typing. Not one semester, full year. Of course, you're still doing it. That's the most important skill I could have possibly had. My dad was the same way. Incredible. Anyway, fake it till you make it. I don't mind and, that. And dealing with imposter syndrome. It's like... You can't be fully prepared in life for every endeavor that you take on. Sometimes you just go out and you fly blind. It, it's painful, and you learn a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a way to get a crash course. But can, hope, hopefully, whenever we do this, the conditions are okay. So it's not like going to come back and bite anybody in the ass if you have to make mistakes and learn along the way. Well, I think – so fake, fake it till you make it can be uh... – I guess it can be a misleading term, because uh, because I think there are many situations where you get you get a a new opportunity, a new, um, you know, say just just new action items that you've never had before, and it's just like just like figure it out, or you sh- or you shit the bed, and so like that's part of faking it till you make it. It's just like it's like yeah, you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. It's and it's like and, and, but then the second time around, you know what you're doing. You know Hopefully, or at least you've learned something. Hopefully, if you're not learning, I mean, like I don't know what to tell you. If you're not, if if you're, I mean, if you're not learning from these mistakes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I mean, I mean, like if you look at like in the beginning of how we first started to podcast, or even, or even interview people mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, actually, fake. We pretended to be a show, correct, for a woman. I did. You know <laughs> That's how. <laughs> well, I had no problem using my former employer's email address. I sent out a lot of booking requests from my, you know, from my. I'll say it from my SiriusXM email address. <laughs> Absolutely. And we used to do interviews there, so people were confused about what it was for. So you know, that's not the most ethical thing in the world. But I never, I never told a lie. I never said you're going to be on SiriusXM. I may have, but I mean, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, what's but I so, never minded blurring it though. What's but what was interesting about that is, we would get we would go through that, then we'd get in the situation where we'd have to talk to these people who had no business talking to us, right? Then they're like, "All right, y'all are okay," you right. know, and that's and that's what what had happened, you know, and I, and it's, it's talk about figures. It's a, a, a family friend is a is a um, he's a, he's a TV director. Mm-hmm. It's like does like. Just like a lot, a lot of the hits did like Golden Girls and a bunch of stuff like that. I, I won't use it. But he was like, he was telling me, he was like, he was like, he's like, David, I go to these parties. Everybody's telling me what they're up to. He was like, 
He was like, he's like, it's so, he's, he's, he's so fucking nefarious. That's that's how he, that's how he said. Nefarious. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he was like, he was like, what? Am I gonna be the only one in the entertainment business who doesn't tell a lie? He was like, he was like, no. He was like, we're all full of shit. You uh. know what I'm saying? And so I was just like, all right. But he was, he was like, but when we are, but when we are put to the task, we need to be able to deliver. Yeah. And so that's the difference. Right, and, and who knows if that's even always possible. I mean, I, I some people you, can, some people can. I've been put in a lot of situations in the last six months where it's like, I'm not sure <laughs> exactly what the path forward is, and I got to try and tap dance my way through this. And I would love to, at some point, just be honest and say, like, listen, I've never done this before. I could use some help, but that's not always possible because motherfuckers have paid you because you have said you're an expert. So you gotta fi- you really got to figure stuff out. Sometimes it's like, I'll be right on that. And then you go learn how to do this shit on YouTube. And you write back. <laughs> Without it, dude. Like, also, like, I mean, like, not to make this, like, too inside. Especially when you don't, when, when you get into, like, especially, like, show production yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. There's so many elements of it that is yeah. just, like, very unknown. Uh-huh. Like, I used to watch, the, like, I used to, like, I used to be very into, like, the shows about shows. Yeah. Like, the Larry Sanders show and stuff uh-huh. like that. Yeah. And I remember there was a scene I always remember because Janine Garofalo did the booking mm-hmm. yeah, uh, for, for the Larry Sanders show or played the booker. Right. And somebody was like... That's funny. And, and somebody was like, have you ever done this before? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever... And she was like, no, it's never stopped me before. You right. know what I'm saying? And I was just like, ah, I like that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, you got to walk into the wilderness. You know, you got to walk into the wilderness. And people do that in all, in all kinds of businesses and they adapt. Right. They adapt, you know? So I'm a big believer in, you know, even if you don't have necessarily the exact right relevant experience, get like this is my my advice to all young people who come to me and they're like, I've, I've met with a bunch of people who want to get involved in broadcasting. They want to get involved in the entertainment yeah. industry or whatever. So whatever success or experience I've had, they want to know, like, how do I do it? And my thing is always like, go find the place that is doing the work that you want to go do. And just get in there. Yeah. And just start doing it. Like, don't wait for anybody to, to tell you that you should do it. And this is related to... Impo- this is a way to, like, nip imposter syndrome in the bud. Like, having an... And there's been a lot of talk recently about unpaid internships. And about how they are inherently classist, in many ways racist. It's, like, only privileged people yeah. who don't need to subsist off of income and can live somewhere at a young age with a high rent like dc or new york san francisco a place where you can get a prestigious internship we see that a lot in this medium yeah a ton i mean especially in like the podcasting industry influenced by public radio public radio is notorious for this yeah or Uh, the art world uh, uh, sure right (laughs) so within the the established internship system whether you're paid or unpaid if you're a low person on the totem pole it gives you an incredible advantage in life in a way just to have the badge I, like anybody who's an intern, like I'm at, especially at the old place, it's serious. Or even you know at other places I've been at, I tell them you're you don't understand it really unless you're utilizing your opportunity right. But your badge alone is the most valuable thing that you have gotten at this internship. Yeah, like more so than than any individual work you're going to get more than likely, unless you're in certain internships like. There's some that I've seen where you really get to publish stuff and you really get to dig your show. I mean, our interns got a chance to do a lot of cool stuff and put, mm. you know, clips down. Otherwise, just simply having the access to the building, is that, key. that means you can go find somebody's job that you're interested in, make friends with them, show them that you respect their work. People love to teach. In Absolutely. Most, in most cases, you can just sit down next to somebody and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm only here for a limited time. 
can I shadow you for a day or two? Can I see what you're doing? In like, this- people show up or don't show up for work all the time. So suddenly, somebody doesn't show up for work. You've been trained even in a cursory way to do their job. If you're there, you may get in that chair, and you may never get kicked out of that chair. That shit happens yeah. all the time. This happens in so many different industries, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, you're right. It's, I mean, I feel like there's also, there's also something that comes with youth. Where it's like I obviously have a mentor who always tell me that she was like you're at this age where you can just ask you don't be you shouldn't be afraid to ask questions and like people will love to help so so like so I was constantly asking people people way more senior than I uh, and like just asking them like hey like almost to the point they're like who's this kid think he is that's to, good exactly exactly you know and they and oh, they yeah they carve out time and they and i still talk to these people sure <laughs> you know what I'm saying? they like, like to feel connected to like the youth anyway if they get some bright young person that wants to connect with them often not in all cases but often they can see the value in that connection as without well without a doubt without a doubt i feel like that's something that we should all be doing more of without a doubt like identifying who we want our mentors to be because people loved i mean i love to do that too yeah like it's hard to find the time to talk to everybody and to mentor everybody in some cases, but like I want to be mentored as well. You know, there's people that I really respect um, who have helped to shape my career. I'm gonna shout one of them out right now, Jeremiah Tittle. Jeremiah Tittle, one of the funniest, most talented, brightest, most loving, weirdest guys in this whole business. You've worked with him, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. He, he he's the one who put me and Pete Corey together. He's the one yeah. who created Counterattack Radio and got us whole started on the soccer thing. Like he's how I know Rod Strickland. I know. <laughs> I love it. He, he's yeah. got he's gotten a lot of interesting people connected with fellow creators for these kinds of interesting life and and work opportunities. Like yeah. it, if if we were all doing it right, we would all have like a group of four to five mentors. We would say to them. You are part of my mentor group. Like, I want to meet with you on a at least yearly, if not quarterly basis, and like check in with the big picture. Am yeah. I doing it right? What yeah. if, What do you see in terms of my course and my challenges that you could identify with in your own life? And how did you get over this stuff? Yeah, I feel like people. There's so many lessons that get sat on and don't get brought out into the air where they can be really useful. Jeremiah wasn't the person that you reached out to. The person that you met kind of in the building, right? He, I saw him and met him on my very first day. But okay. I, I hadn't previously known him. But we just kind of vibed a bit. And I'm not exactly not exactly sure. I think I was super impressed by Dave Zirin. Uh-huh. And Jeremiah was also Dave Zirin's way into the building and was his producer. And so that's how we became friends. And then he knew that I was a huge soccer fan. So they connected me to put, be a guest on Zyron's show. Nice. Pete was Pete Corey um, was was a great soccer broadcaster himself. He was the board op of Zyron's show at the time. Hmm. He was then known as Boston Pete. So <laughs> with a backwards hat on all the time, American <laughs> University, not just the frat boy, but the pledge master of his fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Uh, that, we won't talk about that that Dave Getta concert we all went to. Oh, <laughs> which was absurd. That's fun. <laughs> did I get slapped at that concert? You did. You did. Dynamite. You did. Dan Bloom got slapped by a woman he did not know. Yeah. Have we ever talked about this on the show before? No. Okay. Uh, quick story. Um, we're at the concert. At a place that no longer stands, what a place called Fur. Oh my God! Yeah, David Guetta. Because it was cold in there. Played a great, good, played a great <laughs> set, as I remember. But we're standing there in the back of the room, just kind of chilling. 
And this girl walks up to me, who I thought was rather attractive. So she's walking straight up to me. I didn't know why. And so I'm, like, ready to receive this young woman in whatever she wants to tell me uh, or dance or whatever. And instead, she comes up and straight up backhand slaps me <laughs> in the face. It was really a strong, like, forearm. <laughs> it wasn't a punch, but it was a, it was a back slap, but it was, wasn't so much of the hand. It was more of, like, the forearm. I felt like the bone. I think that's called the ulna. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really and I was so stunned so half of me wanted to like run after her and just get an explanation I didn't want to retaliate I was stunned and I was like why did you do that do I know you have I wronged you if not that was a violent act unprovoked like what was that about but I didn't do it because I thought of how crazy it would make me look I felt like I might get kicked out of the show because it would look like I'm in the club fighting a girl. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that I was in a no-win situation, kind of like Terry Crews when he got violated at that party by that <laughs> asshole guy. He was like, I knew I couldn't hit the guy back because of what it would have done to me. So I, you know, I just let the girl go. Now, I heard some good theories in later discussions about this, about what may have happened. And I, my favorite, and the one that I'm going to believe for the rest of my life, until this woman stands and shows yeah. herself and explains... I think that she was put up to this by a bachelorette party or an, or a group of her friends that said, a, like, a challenge. You know, it, it could have just as easily been your challenge is to go up to this random guy and make out with him. Yeah. Instead, it was like, let me pick the most harmless person I can find in this place. That guy with the glasses, go slap him in the face. Nothing will happen to you. And she was right. Well, man. You're, I mean, like, I... All I remember about that uh, interaction was we were walking through a crowd, mm -hmm. and, and like it was very stunning. You understand when this took place? Mm -hmm. You're kind of just like <laughs> the look in your face. Yeah, was it's like you don't folks don't don't know the the the, the startled, concerned, damn bloom look. But this was like <laughs> it was in the thick of it, and there's lights everywhere, yeah. and this loud music, and, and like it was. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, like, perhaps I don't know. It could have just been. I don't know. A lot of people were on drugs at those things. It's know? a chaotic scene. Yeah, it was chaotic. It was. It was chaotic. Add some random violence in the mix. It's just. It's hard to understand. That was. That was. Yeah. That was. That was notorious. Yeah. That was notorious. Okay. So I want to ask you back to a more serious note. Do you remember? Oh, you don't know that. Do you, you do know Eliza Jacobs? Somehow. Yeah, I do. She's like her. Her homeschool would have been Springbrook. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you had a, used to have a thing for a mother. Yeah. Me? <laughs> yeah. Used to. <laughs> She's wonderful. The whole family is wonderful, actually. And Eliza has been a great friend. She got married this past year. Uh -huh. And always been an interesting influence on me. And she gave, like, she would give me books to read, even though I'm not a big reader, because she knew, like, the style of book, like, pulpy or whatever that I would like to read. Yeah. So she was, I always kind of viewed her as, like, a, not just a, a friend, but somebody whose word and advice I took seriously. Okay. And the conversation I want to bring up to you now is a conversation that she and I didn't even have. But it's a conversation that she hinted at for, like, a half a second. And that was enough for me to understand exactly what she meant. And if we were in a studio right now, I would consider picking up the phone. Maybe we'll do this in the next episode. Okay. Because I really want to know exactly what she would have said, because this is the way I interpreted it. I think that she thinks that 
for better or for worse, I spend time and energy crafting my own story. And I always have. Now, what that means is, in a Seinfeldian way, like, one of the reasons I like that show is because something that will just happen in the world is observed and mm-hmm. then pointed at and named and talked about, right? It's like, oh, this is the move, or this is like the list, yeah, or mocked. this... What? <laughs> mocked. In some cases, mocked, but in yeah. other cases, just examined. Yeah. And so I think that, and I could be making this up or projecting or whatever, I think she was reticent to explain fully what she was going to say because she thought it was going to hurt my feelings. And I was young enough that at the time it may have. Mm -hmm. But now I'm starting to come around to the question of perhaps this is a personal weakness, perhaps this is a personal strength, perhaps it's something in the middle where it's useful, but something that one should not get carried away with. And it's about it, it is the same topic that we began this conversation with. Yeah, yeah. It's like the val the relative value of telling your own story and crafting reality versus playing a purely receptive game of reacting to the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is value in both. You cannot get carried away in your own story and become egotistical because it's one, wrong, two, disagreeable, and three, clouds your vision from reality. I mean, yeah. the world is not really about you. It's not really about me. Yeah. We're both going to be ash by the time this thing comes apart. I mean, that's in a way quite comforting to think about. But until we are ash, what are we going to do here on Earth? Because it's been a very interesting 30-some years. Yeah. Hopefully we have a lot more years to come, but we need to, one, take care of ourselves so that that truth is enacted. Mm-hmm. And two, we need to have a good hard look at ourselves and what we're doing here and try to make it count, basically. Yeah. So in the service of that, I think it can be useful to define one's self, life, path, make things funny, observe things, point them out, like, you know, if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have a show. It wouldn't have a title. It wouldn't have a logo. Yeah. We wouldn't have these microphones from Blue. Thank you, Blue. <laughs> yeah. We would, <laughs> like, and it, it, whether or not what we are doing here is going to change the world, it's changing our world. It and really is. And it's making us aware of the passage of time. Exactly. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with self-examination. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, especially when it, especially when you can, uh, when you can, when you see those, uh, those red exclamation points that are your faults, you know, <laughs> and then, and then you, and then you adjust those. Uh, and so, and that is, and that is where we've talked about previously how through partnerships, you all could be one another's editors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what I've learned. Well said. <laughs> like th- definitely, definitely. You can definitely insight could be like, this needs like, eh. You know what I'm saying? Like, year 10, paragraph 3, needs fixing. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, but but that's, uh, yeah, I, I think I think, I think think everybody needs to do that. I mean, of, of course, if you're just that perfect human being, th- you know what I'm saying? Th- think, thank this guy every day. Uh, but but not everybody, not everybody's, everybody's built like that. Not everybody can see, necessarily see ways or, or have the, um, the maturity to 
to open their eyes, you know, mm-hmm. and, to, and, and and to recognize recognize the truth of their story, recognize the way the way recognize what their story, recognize the limits of their story, and recognize like what their story could be, mm-hmm. you know, and so. And related to that, I just saw a headline that was about you know one of these super tatted up white supremacist types, and it was like, it was easier for me to believe in conspiracy theories than to take a good look in the mirror. Ultimately, your comment about self-introspection not being a bad thing is probably an understatement. Oh, yeah. It's probably, like, the thing that we all need to do most seriously. Like, in the morning, instead of looking at my phone for the first however long, it'd probably be more beneficial to just look at myself in the mirror. You know, and be like, hey, self, how are you feeling? What's bothering you? What do you want to achieve today? What can you achieve today? Let's go do it. You know, what's interesting about looking at yourself in the mirror. He's talking about that. You know, think about how many times people have told you stuff about yourself and told us about like in these told us things about us about ourselves. And you're kind of like. It was it was done in a place of like uh, like nastiness or mm-hmm. try you know what I'm saying as opposed to somebody who packaged it differently mm-hmm. you know and and your response was like and you had a different response is that am I making sense of course yeah but but I I, I almost want to flip my response on your question's head because my big problem one of them at least recently that I've started to finally notice after all this time <laughs> what is it uh. I react emotionally to problems <laughs> in many cases when I should not. I'm sure as my longtime creative partner, you've probably seen this take place. Nah, man, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. I, it's been hard to look at myself from a bird's eye view and realize what it's taken is marriage, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because I realize that I have the inclination sometimes to fall down the rabbit hole of I don't know some kind of self-pity sadness of my own responsibilities and now that has more consequences because now there's another person involved here yeah. and it's a person who deserves to have a husband that is there for her yeah. and that is not like complete and this gets difficult because like in certain situations I have a lot of work to do yeah and the old version of me, it would not be a problem to just say, okay, I'm just going to devote the next, like, week to doing nothing but work. Now I have to – I. it is not just a quality of life issue for me to have a work-life balance. Like, it's something I have to impose. Yeah. And I have to be able to – but even more than the practical side, it's a challenge to control my emotions, period. And it's going to yeah. get harder as I get older. That because does. one's mind is most easily controlled, I think, in a time when we're like closest to our peak, which yeah. is basically nowish and never going to get closer. <laughs> yeah. It's only getting farther away. So, like, the practice of controlling one's emotions for the sake of oneself, and most importantly, for the sake of one's loved ones. Yeah. And when you say like people package it differently, I think for the most part, it's been my mistake to receive information in a way that feels like an attack. Like, for the most part, even if people criticize, it's great if they have the wherewithal to do it in a kind way. But most criticism, truthfully, whether it's meant nicely or not nicely, is information, data that one should 
be listening to and not yeah. fighting. Yeah. Because there are lessons that we have to learn that we may not even be happy with at any point. Yeah. So that, and that makes us better. So, like, this is a whole thing about... <laughs> like, have you ever been super mad about something that you know you're wrong about? Yeah. But it's still hard to, like, let go of the madness? And you're, like, flipping over the seat. The metaphorical seats on a couch being like, I know, there's, I know they're wrong somewhere. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, but you're like, nah. Right. I got nothing. Like, <laughs> this is part of the process. Like writ large how do you walk away from like feeling so self-righteous and actually just being more zen like that's that's one of the big big goals i think as you get older is zen. like cool down from the heat the, from the hot hot heat of being like a hot tempered hot-blooded youth yeah like cool down the temperature and most importantly control your reactions to new situations because it's so easy to just pop off and say stupid stuff. It's God, is it easy? Yeah, you know, but it takes just stuff, to reach it, for that lizard brain response. It takes stuff out of you, though. It so does. Sometimes I say stupid stuff, and as it is exiting my mouth, I'm like, "This is a bad thing to say." Yeah, this would be smarter if you could just not say it. Yeah, yeah. So as I say, it's going to get harder to control that as we get older. But if we can start to institute the patterns now. Like, realize that we are not young kids anymore. Institute the patterns that are going to help us carry forward into a dignified maturation process, which not everybody hits. Mm-mm. I read Lewis Black's book years ago, uh-huh. and he made this comment how he, his, of course, his body feels different, but, like, he basically just feel, feel like he felt when he was, like, in his brain, like, when he was 22. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm and I'm like, do you believe that? You know, and so, I mean, like, I feel like yeah, we've got, I mean, like, do you, like, what, what age is your brain? That's a great question. Uh, I'm torn. I don't feel very 22 anymore. Yeah. I feel closer to two than 22 often because I, I, it would be funny to examine the kinds of frustrated feelings that I felt when I was two. Or maybe I still feel like that feeling... <laughs> I hate to say it, but one of the feelings that feels most evergreen, I suppose, that feeling that I return to over and over and over, I like, I have joy. Joy is a great one. Love is a great one. But you know what one that's so visceral? Aggravation. Mm-hmm. It's such a visceral, visceral part of life. <laughs> and it, it all, for me, it all started in like high school. Because I was so annoyed by all of the mountains of homework and projects and tests. Like, I acknowledge that education is the key to success. It's yeah. like the most important thing that our society can do is educate its children. If I'm ever lucky enough to have children, I'm going to take their education extremely seriously. But having to get up that early and go to the same place every day and go through all of the mishigas, which means kind of like nonsense in Yiddish, all of the stuff you have to do. Like, sometimes I just want to chill out. I wish I was, you know, that's interesting. And it's a feeling that I get all the time. I like see. today, I want to just get into Uber and spend $160 just to drive to the beach because I was feeling aggravated. And I thought the solution to my mind and its aggravation is to just go and look at the water, put my feet in the Atlantic Ocean. That will make me feel like such a win. But of course, I didn't do it. But you, But again, again, we've talked about this. 
the theme knowing yourself. Yeah. Because, like, I liked the chaos. <laughs> I liked, I, li- I remember I used to get angry. I used to feel bad. Like, when I was sick yeah. and I couldn't go to school, yeah. I used to be like, man, like, I had something I really wanted to tell someone, so I can't go. That's you know what I'm saying? Like, I, for you. Yeah, I used to actually feel bad about it because, like, it was such a zoo of personalities that I was yeah. just like, it's kind of like, like, like when you ever in like, if anybody, people lived in like large cities or stuff like that in New York or places where there's just like a lot, or places with just like a lot of craziness. I get attracted to it. I'm like, I'm like, cause I'm just, I just get so distracted. I love it. Well, that's good. So it wasn't aggravating. The, well, of course, the, uh, the academic, some of the academic stuff can absolutely be aggravating. But I mean, <laughs> I wasn't really doing it anyway. So I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, <I'm jerk. laughs> So, I mean, this is a good place to, to end, to end on, to land on is that like, Part of growing up and maturing and accepting the path you have plotted for yourself is trying to get your head around wanting to do the things that you have to do every day. Yeah. Like, trick yourself into it. Fake it till you make it, (laughs) I suppose. Like, sprinkle throughout the day things that will get you excited about the work that you have to do. And be proud of the things that you accomplish along the way. And do not run from your responsibilities. Oh, also say that, you know, by sprinkling on that, even if you're like, there's hesitance, you're like, this is like faking it. You know, there are certain like places that you'll reach that may be places of joy that you, that you would never, that you would never even imagine. Yeah. You know, is that, does that make sense? Of course. Of yeah. course. Like getting through something. Exactly. That you're not sure you can get through. Exactly. You like a certain kind of joy. He's like, if I turned around, you're like, I would never have known what this distinct moment feels like. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't describe it. That's good, David. Yeah. That's a good one. So to everyone listening, if you're going through something and you're not sure if you can make it through, but you can envision the benefit of making it through, stick it out for a little while longer. If it's not killing you, stick it out. It may still work out. Exactly. Exactly. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, One more question. What is it? I didn't ever get an answer from you about the value of accepting the world as it presents itself to you kind of dealing with reality as you find it okay versus making an effort implicitly or explicitly to create your own world. oh there's no way i'm okay with just dealing with reality <laughs> there's no way there's no way i'm i mean like that's like none of my unique moments or unique or just unique friendships or histories is has been me being like has been me being like, no, there's something else here. Here, people are telling me this does not work out with this group, or this does not work out with with an opportunity or something like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm not listening to y'all. You know what I'm saying? And then like, I find out, oh, <laughs> y'all motherfuckers were wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like, may take forever. <laughs> it's like y'all were wrong. You know? And so like, no, I'm not. I mean, like back in the day, I used to always read these little like like Ralph Waldo Emerson and all these pe- all these people who kind of talk about like. The lessons of their day and, mm-hmm. and like from reading them in college it still affected me now yeah and just reading their statements because these, these were people at the height of their game it's mm-hmm. just, and like just reading about how how they viewed the world kind of just taking the information just like trying to trust trust your instincts and stuff like that people always trying to argue that your own instinct could just be just could just be an illusion mm-hmm. you know and just not reality at all but i'm just like as long as i feel like you are strategic experimental and persistent persistent you can alter reality watch the breakdown beautifully stated 
That's the end of the show. <laughs> That's it. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> See you later. Thanks, Blue Mics. <laughs> Thanks, Blue. It's Madcap. <laughs> Madcap.